This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. And welcome and good morning. It is Monday, August the 11th. And glad to have you with us on the show today from our brand new studios here on the campus of the University of Pennsylvania. Glad to have you with us for Knowledge at Wharton today. Well, as we mentioned uh, at the top of the show late last week, as many of you know, the United States started strategic airstrikes on in Iraq on ISIS sites so that Islamic extremists can be held at bay where and where Kurdish forces can start to take more control. But these strikes by U.S. missiles, why they do have a military path behind them, they're also designed to allow aid to get to thousands of Iraqis that are starving because of the recent push by the Islamic extremists. But we wanted to look at are the financial aspects to these strikes. Joining us to discuss what is all involved and the costs associated with these airstrikes are Bulent Gultikan, who is a finance professor here at the Wharton School. He's joining us today from Turkey. And also joining us, Nita Crawford, who is a professor of political science at Boston University. Bulent and Nita, thank you very much for coming on the show today. It's my pleasure. Great to... Thank you. Great to have you. Uh, Bullet, we'll start with you. I guess the most important thing to note is that this is specifically not just a military operation that's going on right now. No, this is a humanitarian action, it seems like, at the surface. And I'm sure that the U.S. also have in mind the, the oil and this interest in the northern Iraq, mainly in Kurdish region but, as well. Uh, Nita, some of this to agree is to make sure that we don't have a full-blown operation in Iraq. Uh, the costs, obviously, that we've seen from operations in the past are very expansive. What kind of costs are we looking at for these types of strikes? Well, many people probably don't know that the United States has already got money appropriated for this just these kinds of contingencies. So uh, there won't be any request to Congress anytime soon. The U.S. already uh, had appropriated a billion dollars just for military operations in Iraq in this fiscal year. And uh, what will happen is that uh, that money will run out very quickly, and then uh, Congress will be asked for more overseas contingency operations funding. The administration has now said that these strikes will go on for months, so I can't tell you uh, ultimately what this will cost, but it it could run... uh, up into the billions. And, and as you have uh, put on uh, the website that you run, uh, Cost of War, the expenses that have been outlaid I- since 9-11, we're talking well into the billions of dollars, correct? Well, uh, into the trillions. Trillions, I'm sorry. Okay, so it's about uh, both wars, it's over $4 trillion that we've either spent already or were obligated to spend. You have to keep in mind, though, that these wars are borrowed, uh, I'm sorry, uh, it's like they're on a credit card, essentially. Yep. And, uh, you know, we pay each year interest on the borrowing for the wars, but we'll be paying for the next uh, several decades the interest on the borrowing. And ultimately, borrowing to pay for the wars will cost more than we've spent. 
As you mentioned, Nita, and I'll pass this on to, to Bulin as well. Uh, Bulin, this is something that the U.S. government has has basically factored in as part of their uh, operating costs over the course of the year. Is that correct? That I don't have the exact details in the <clears throat> budget, but I'm sure that uh, a military might and power like the United States probably have contingency plans for such limited action as at least they perceive in Iraq, in Iraq right now. Now, we know about, well, the, 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 as Anita just mentioned, about the costs uh, tied in with the fact that we're making surgical airstrikes and making flights of this. But as you mentioned, this is an aid mission to try and help out uh, lots and lots of people. In terms of the costs associated with that, what is factored in? I mean, obviously, a lot of the materials are probably uh, stuff that the United States government is given by uh, other nations or from nations here, companies here in the U.S. All I know right now is that uh, the operation is limited surgical airstrikes using planes as well as drones. So, and but the cost of this operation is really negligible compared to what U.S. already spent in Iraq after 2003. So uh, this is the part that um, I don't see any sort of a... If it goes on for a while, if U.S. get involved into a long-lasting engagement in the region, it may be costly. But in terms of operating cost of the U.S. government, this isn't all that at a big expense because you already made a mess of right. the last uh, 12 years in the region. And, and I guess, well, that's part of this as well, is that the United States has been in there for so long and President Obama you know, pulled uh, troops out of there. They don't want to have to go back in and, and do more uh, because it, it would, you know, I guess in some respects, almost seemed like it was a failure the first time. I think it was a the big mistake for U.S. to get involved in Iraq. It was necessary, and it was the U.S. Bush administration with a bunch of neocons. Uh, I don't know why they did it. I guess they wanted to show the world that U.S. can do anything to uh, scare the hell out of anyone. <laughs> and so it was a totally, totally wrong thing to do in 2003 to invade Iraq. And they just didn't want to listen to people who were warning them. They wanted to listen to the people that they chose. And I think it was one of the biggest blunders, not in terms of the uh, loss of lives, and we see a country is, is in a disarray right now, and in terms of the cost, human cost for the United States, we have five, 6,000 people died, uh, and I think Nita has... Um, also mentioned it's really the cost of the war is over trillions. When the economist in 2003 mentioned, I believe it was, I can't recall his name from Yale, that it's going to cost about a trillion. People thought he was insane. Yeah. And he turned out to be overly optimistic. <laughs> that was William Nordhaus, right? Nordhaus, that's right. Nita, let me ask you this because uh, I mean, we the United States has been or was in Iraq for quite some time. Uh, they took care of Saddam Hussein, but they did have an obligation to stay there and, and help with the setup of the government. That we've talked about the cost of the war itself, but the cost that they had to incur just from that aspect after the quote unquote war was over was was a big part of this as well. 
Well, the, the reconstruction costs were essentially part of the State Department and uh, military funding. The U.S. military did some of the reconstruction. Unfortunately, the auditors uh, found a lot of corruption and mismanagement and sort of disappearance of funds. So that reconstruction wasn't an effect, as effective. And you also have to keep in mind is that the reconstruction went uh, occurred at the same time as the war. Yeah. Just as today the bombing is occurring at the same time that the U.S. is using these uh, transport planes to drop tens of uh, thousands of gallons of water, they hope, and thousands of meals to these people stuck on the mountains. I guess the biggest question is, is that how long do we think that th- that this could last? Because we're talking about if you look at some of the maps where uh, the Islamic extremists are, are held out, they are obviously all over this country right now. And this seems like it's going to take quite some time to be able to at least get this under control, let alone get the, the people into safety where they need to go. Well, I, the the problem is there are really two crises in Iraq right now, and uh, the Obama administration's got a big, uh, big problem here. The first crisis that is the one that's on the headlines in the northern part with ISIS and yep. uh, or the Islamic State, as they prefer to be called now, um, and that that could go on for quite some time. The the Turks and um, the Kurds are managing to get many of these people down the mountain. They got thousands down the mountain this weekend uh, to safety. Um, that uh, crisis may end uh, in you know in the next several weeks. Right. But the the second crisis, which has been brewing since 2003, is the political military crisis in the uh, majority of the country, where it's unclear that uh, the United States can help democracy flourish. And this month, the crisis is getting Nuri al-Maliki, the man we wanted to be the prime minister of Iraq, out because he's become such a big, uh, for the last several years, political problem. He's a human rights abuser. He's um, keeping Sunnis out of the government uh, in in significant ways. And uh, he's an obstacle to democratization. He's not... Uh, he's not your savior. Sure. So the U.S. keeps looking for the savior. So that that crisis may go on, um, and and ISIS is actually uh, drawing on the negative feelings that the Nuri al Maliki government, which we backed, has uh, generated. So uh, I think you know, it, let's say the humanitarian crisis ends relatively quickly. And uh, but there's still the, these, the the problem that the political crisis, which has generated um, the the war, the, the the new war here, uh, will simmer unless we figure out something else to do about that. And I'm not sure that that's the United States' job. I think we need to be um, looking for some other actors. One eight four four Wharton. If you'd like to join us in the show, one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. We're speaking with Nita Crawford, who's a professor of political science at Boston University, and also Bulent Gultikin, who is a professor of finance here at the Wharton School, about the uh, ongoing issues in Iraq and the surgical strikes that are going on, as well as the aid mission as well. Uh, so we'd love to hear from you, your comments uh, right now at one eight four four Wharton one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Nita, you've also brought up the fact that when you when the United States gets into a war, there is obviously 
an impact on the U.S. economy. And we're at a time where, you know, we've been out of the quote unquote recession for for a few years now. But still, this country is trying to build itself back up. And so being involved in wars like this, there does take a toll on the economy, doesn't there? Yeah, Uh, there's there's obviously the question of money spent uh, on the the wars um, and aid, which is actually the aid part is pretty small. Um, but then there's the continuing expense of caring for veterans, and uh, then the United States military wants to rebuild the the equipment that uh, was lost or run down in the wars, and so there's more money that goes to the Pentagon. So there's a lot of money that sort of flows out in an obvious way. Right. But the sort of less obvious stuff under the, that, that tip of the iceberg are uh, the opportunity costs of military spending. Military spending is not all that effective at generating jobs. And um, the jobless rate in the United States could be a lot lower if the United States had not spent uh, almost $2 trillion in Iraq and then almost another uh, $2 trillion in Afghanistan. Um, you know, or is it, and this, this is, um, you know, tens of thousands of jobs. Yeah. This is all, yeah. It is, I, go ahead. Can I add one thing to that, Nita? Mm-hmm. which seems to people forget the one thing that is also equally bad, and I agree with what you said, is the time the administration spend on these issues. It's such a time-consuming, it, it takes away from the attention. And I believe uh, this, that we, part of the sort of, uh, one of the reasons at least behind this crisis we had 2008, because the entire Bush administration was so focused on and the Treasury, what was happening after uh, sort of with Iraq and all that, and they basically lost uh, focus on the economy. And that's a very significant uh, wasted waste of energy people spend on these unproductive wars. Well, Bolin, let me throw this out to you then. I mean, obviously the United States has, has its place as, you know, considered to be the number one economy in the world. And most people believe that it is part of their responsibility to, at times, be the the world's police force. And I don't necessarily agree with that all the time. Obviously, I believe that you know if if you have thousands of people that are in one country and they are being totally uh, devoid of food and water, we need to go in there and help them. So it really brings up the question right from the get go is. Does the United States at times need to focus more on itself than focus on the world? I mean, as a large economy, as the leader of the sort of Western world, you do have, or U.S. does have its responsibilities. That comes with the territory, I believe. And, but in the case of this current um, air strikes and humanitarian aid, it is quite obvious. I mean, it's no brainer. You have to do it. We have to do it right now in Turkey. We have nearly one point, uh, almost reaching too soon, 1.5 million Syrian refugees. And I'm sure we're going to have hundreds of thousands of refugees coming already pouring in from Iraq. So, and I remember I was an advisor to uh, President Erzal and to uh, 19... 91, and then overnight we had literally half a million refugees from northern Iraq into Turkey. So you have to do these things. I mean, you just can't watch these people getting killed, period. And on the other hand, as again in 2003, what we failed as a nation, as a leader, 
that we didn't really build any consensus to go to Iraq, whereas in the first war, there was an international consensus, and that's why I think it was successful. We didn't even follow that up. So, yes, we do have a responsibility. On the other hand, NATO is right that we cannot solve everyone's problem. Yeah. And the one in Iraq is a serious one. Here we, we, we have a failed state. We were partly responsible because we broke it, and we can bring it together now. So it's a mess. So uh, we cannot solve everyone's problem. But on the other hand, these international issues really require somehow some international consensus as to how to deal with these crisis issues and sometimes where to draw the line, what conflicts that uh, UN or U.S. would, would interfere. But it's, it's not an easy thing to do. As you mentioned, you are in, in Turkey right now, Bulan, and, yeah. and obviously being right next to uh, what is going on. What is just the general consensus of the whole process right now? I mean, it's, uh, everyone feels that the whole region is almost falling apart. And because Syria is in shambles for nearly four years. And Iraq is almost about to be getting somewhere. But again, as need to describe, because uh, Sunnis were excluded and the failure of the Iraqi government to incorporate them. And we made some early mistakes by excluding those guys and the Sunnis as well as dismembering or the Ba'ath Party and the army in Iraq. So one thing led to another. So right now everyone feels in the region that what's going to happen. And I think people are quite pessimistic. Yeah. And one of the things you see in Turkey that these poor folks coming from Syria, they're in camps, but some of them are just moving everywhere in the country. In Istanbul, you see really a bunch of uh, poor people begging in the streets. It's very sort of sad to see all these things and how it is going to end. I don't think anyone has a recipe or a solution. Right. Nita, Nita, you also brought up, uh, have brought up, and I've seen on other uh, publications as well, the fact that not only when the United States gets involved in a war are there the costs of the war itself, uh, there are the costs of the lives lost, but there are also the secondary medical costs that end up affecting uh, servicemen and women when they come back. The medical costs of war in general are, are, are very large, aren't they? Right. Well, the United States has an obligation to care for the service members and uh, other people who are in these war zones. And uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs has, you know, obviously had (laughs) itself overwhelmed in these last few years. But let's say that they could pay for everything and do everything that was needed. It would be another trillion dollars to do so over the next several decades. I mean, part of the, the, the need is immediate when people need uh, new limbs or uh, need help with uh, learning how to walk or uh, need to deal with traumatic brain injury and Mm -hmm. post-traumatic stress. But then over the long run, all of these um, ailments, including the respiratory ailments, become more complicated as people age. So the expense actually grows over the decades. And I don't think we're, in fact, uh, over yet paying for uh, the peak expense of Vietnam veterans. So yeah. uh, as, as people age, uh, they need more care, and, and I think we should pay for it. We just have to think about that as a cost of war. But I, could I go back to something else you raised, sure. which was whether or not the United States is obliged to help everywhere. 
all the time because of its uh, great economic power and great military power. Uh, I think there's a question here, and we've got to face it, about whether the United States will remain a great economic power if it keeps spending so much money on the military. Military spending is about half of U.S. total federal spending. And then when you factor in these other long-term costs, um, it is a tremendous burden on the economy. Some of that is necessary for the defense of the homeland, but other parts of that are about sort of making an environment that's convivial to the United States, but in the world, let's say in, in the Middle East and so on. But the United States might be better off making that convivial environment using less aggressive means, and the spending on, uh, at home would produce many more jobs and keep the U.S. economy in better shape. Right. So it's a choice about what kind of great power the United States wants to be. France, Spain, Britain, uh, other, and Rome also did what we've done, which is, you know, go elsewhere. But eventually what happened to those great powers was that they spent too much. And uh, the burden in blood and treasure brought those empires to an end. The United States isn't the same kind of empire, but we face the same choice. Uh, we could sort of sort of spend and spend to try to make the world as we'd like it, or we, we could sort of live with a little bit more uncertainty and actually maintain uh, the U.S. position, I think, uh, a little more comfortably. Uh, Nita, I wanted to bring up also the, the website that you've actually done, the, the Cost of War Project, because I found it interesting to read it. Just explain to the listeners how that all came about. Well, in 2010, uh, Brown University's Watson Institute um, uh, was thinking about how should we understand the, the costs of war. And uh, I worked with uh, Catherine Lutz and uh, about then about 20 academics. Now we're over 30 academics from uh, around the U.S. Uh, and, and the Middle East to understand the social costs, the economic costs, uh, the political consequences of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and then, of course, the human toll. So uh, what we decided in 2010 was we'd try, uh, by the time of the anniversary of the beginning of the war in Afghanistan to, to, in 2011, the 10-year anniversary, we decided we wanted to sort of try to get that huge um, difficult to understand picture out to people. Rather than just think about the thousands of U.S. lives lost, think about the, the comprehensive view, which was, uh, you know, 180,000 uh, civilian lives lost, yep. um, many more thousands injured, and then the toll uh, on the economy as a whole, not just the cost uh, the, the billions that the U.S. Uh, and moving over to trillions that the U.S. had spent directly, but the long-term economic costs. So that's why the website is structured as it is, to look at the, the uh, wars in, in a comprehensive way, rather than just think about them as sort of bottom-line figures. And, and I, found it, I found it very interesting when I was looking at the site, the fact that, and I guess in some respects we need to think it in this process, but I think most people don't think of it like this, is the fact that when you're involved in a war, that has an effect on the GDP of this country. That has effect on the prices that home buyers pay for mortgages. It, right. it, it, is, a, it is a whole involved process. 
Yes, and, and war is always that way. Um, it, it's always been that way. In some ways, uh, you know, spending on war in World War II helped get the United States out of the Great Depression. But um, sometimes it doesn't work that way, yeah. right? So let's say for every billion uh, that you spend on the military, you get 11,200 jobs or so. But you, if you spent that same billion dollars on clean energy, you'd get 16,800 jobs. Sure or 26000 uh, for education. So the economy actually could be more robust. Bullen, uh, one more question for you uh, before, sure. before you go, is that obviously some of the reports here uh, in the last couple of days, uh, when you hear about the comments from people on Capitol Hill, uh, it just doesn't seem like this is going to be a process that's going to stop anytime soon in terms of the approach to Iraq, that it, it just isn't going to happen. Obviously, uh, I don't know if you've seen them today, but uh, Hillary Clinton came out and made comments about uh, President Obama's uh, strategy in terms of uh, overseas. This looks like this is going to be another one of those situations where we're going to have a cost affected to United States citizens for a long time to try and get Iraq fixed. I, I think it's going to be on the agenda. And on the other hand, how much U.S. is willing to spend or will spend remains to be seen. Now we have the elections coming. If uh, It's going to be a topic for the election, I think, elections. And Secretary Clinton is trying to um, keep her distance from Obama, and this is certainly one area that she would like to uh, distinguish or, or separate herself. But uh, unfortunately, Iraq is indeed a failed state right now, and the U.S. is in an awkward situation. On one hand, there is the northern part, the Kurdish region, seems to be somewhat more stable and wants to secede. On the other hand, the U.S. wants to hold the country together, and it really remains to be seen. And Syria is not over, so I think we're going to hear a lot about the region. And most of the news on the freight... It's not going to be a pleasant one. Nita, uh, your final comment on this, because obviously you've looked at the at the financial end of, of a lot of wars. This is, if this continues, I, I can't see this having a, a, a quick end in, in any near future. I don't think it's going to end uh, quickly. The president said it's going to take several months. I, it, it could go on for years. The, the question is, will the administration be pushed by the right in the U.S., let's say John McCain, who wants more uh, forces to be involved, more strikes. He thinks that the U.S. isn't doing enough. Yeah. And uh, if, if you listen to that, uh, then this could escalate. Uh, and obviously, any Democrat doesn't want to be sort of um, out-militarized, and, and he, the president may feel pushed. Um, so this could, could uh, escalate. I, I don't think it will escalate rapidly, what I think we'll see is a sort of gradual escalation if there is uh, more escalation. And and I think we have to keep in mind that uh, there are some risks to U.S. troops in this, because the U.S. is flying C-130 transports, which go uh, pretty low to drop the water and uh, food, and uh, they need to be protected, so they are vulnerable to being shot down. So when uh, U.S. forces, uh, I hope this doesn't happen, um, become injured or, or may die in, in delivering aid or in uh, shooting at the 
dropping these 500-pound bombs at uh, the Islamic State, then I, then I think the president will be faced with other questions uh, about uh, what to do. Again, from the right, a push to escalate, because the right will say that this is a threat yep. uh, to the U.S., and then from the left to say, get out. It is an issue that uh, it doesn't seem like it has any quick fix. Uh, Bullen Gultinkin, I appreciate you joining us from Turkey today. Thanks very much, Professor, and we look forward to seeing you back here in Philadelphia soon. Uh, Nita Crawford, politi- Professor of Political Science at Boston University, and as we mentioned, the uh, the Cost of War Project uh, uh, website, that's a very interesting read. Nita, thank you very much for coming on as well. My pleasure. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.